All right, we are going to start a new series today on the book of Ephesians. And uh, if there's nothing, if you don't know really anything about the book of Ephesians, um, it is literally like Paul's theological masterpiece, okay? He takes everything that you need to know about the entire Christian life, all the essential parts of the Christian life, and he, he puts, he brings it all together into six short chapters. And so in reality, if you understand, I think it's like three pages. If you understand these three pages in the Bible, here's the whole Bible. You understand these three pages, you're good to go, okay? All right, you got it all. You got everything that you need to know about the Christian life all here in these three pages. You will be a theological expert. All right, when Paul is writing this book or or letter, it's really a letter, um, it is written almost like a survival manual, okay? He is writing this to this church that's located in this huge city called Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is uh, it's one of the main uh, trade hubs of the Roman Empire. I mean, it was huge. Uh, they had like the largest library in the whole Roman Empire. Uh, they had all this stuff going on. It was like also the epicenter of worship when it came to Greek and Roman gods. I think they had like over 50 different temples that were dedicated to Greek and Roman gods. And so uh, people, I mean, if you, you picture this, people from all over the world would travel to this huge city called Ephesus to worship these gods. And a lot of the worship that they would do with these gods is all revolved around prostitution, okay? You'd go into the temple, you'd sleep with a temple prostitute, and, um, and then you'd worship God, and then you'd go back home, okay? It was like, you know, what happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus, Unless it's contagious and uh, then you carry it around for the rest of your life. But, uh, but it's, you know, it's this huge city, right? It wasn't very uh, Christian friendly, if you know what I mean, okay? They had some issues going on. Um, actually, Paul, he knew the church in Ephesus super well because Paul had spent two years living with them. All right, we see this in Acts chapter 19 that Paul, he actually goes to Ephesus and he's, gonna, he's spreading the word. He's, tell, he's trying to tell as many people, he's doing what we should be doing, telling as many people um, as he possibly can about what Jesus has done for them. And he goes to Ephesus and when he gets there, there's 12 people in the church, all right? Not a very big church, all right? Huge city. And for the next two years, Paul and those 12 guys, they go to town and they start, they're telling everybody that they possibly can. And the church grows and grows and grows and grows. And many, 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 many people come to know Jesus and give their lives to God. Actually, so many people give their lives to God that uh, it, sh- it almost shuts down one of the main industries in all of Ephesus, which was like idol making, Okay. Because again, it was an epicenter of worship to these Greek and Roman gods. And so you had all these guys who worked in this idol-making industry, meaning they would, they would build these little idols that people would go, you know, come from all over the world. They'd buy these little idols, these fake gods, and they would take them home. And what they'd do is they'd like put them on their mantle, they'd set them there, and then that god would watch over their house for them, okay? For us, this sounds kind of crazy, but uh, this is what cultures all over the world today still do. And so this is what they were doing back then. And so these, when so many people in the city of Ephesus came to know Jesus, uh, they stopped buying these idols. And all the idol-making people were like, what's going on? We're not selling. We're losing out on a bunch of money. Our industry is like 
tanking. And so these guys, they get everybody riled up. They start a riot. They actually take over the amphitheater in Ephesus and, uh, and cause a big stir in the city. And things start getting dangerous for Paul. And he goes and he leaves to go to another city uh, to tell people about what Jesus has done for them. I would encourage you, not right now, all right, because we got some things to talk about this morning, but Later today or later on this week, read about this story in Acts chapter 19. It's the whole, it's the whole chapter, which a chapter is like a page, okay? It's the whole page about all this stuff that happened during Paul's two years in Ephesus. Super interesting. But, uh, but a few years later, Paul, he leaves Ephesus. A few years later, Paul finds himself, he's imprisoned in Rome and um, he actually, he is allowed to write letters, and he is allowed to send those letters out. And so he sits down one day, and he begins to write a letter to the Ephesian church, okay, to this church in Ephesus, to these people that he knew, and to these people that he loved. And probably a lot of them he um, introduced to Jesus himself. Now, the first half of the book, unfortunately for all of us, okay, it's super theological, okay? It just is. Um, it's super theological. Paul, what he's doing in the first half of the book is he's explaining the gospel story, and he's explaining it from all types of different angles, telling us about what Jesus has done for us. And then the second half of the book is uh, super practical, where he's basically saying, hey, because of this gospel story that I've already explained, he's saying, this is how we live our life. This is how it affects us. And unfortunately today, we're doing the theological stuff, so um, I'll be straight up with you, completely honest. Today's kind of going to be like class, okay? Um, I, uh, I've, I've been in school a long time, or I, I've done a lot of schoolwork. I have a few degrees. I hate class, okay? Like 90% of you in here. Now, I totally understand that there's a few of you who are like, I can't wait. I love class. I, I'm going to learn so much. Yeah, that's not me, Okay? So for you, for the rest of you who are like me, um, I'm just going to tell you, it's, it's going to be a little bit rough. I think I hate teaching class as much as I hate being in class. So basically what I'm saying is we're all going to suffer through this together, okay? You guys with me? Okay, all right. Um, the first thing that we're going to look at today is so difficult, all right? It's going to be such a pain. It's so difficult, but it's also so important and in a sense, it is mind-blowing because it's so hard to understand, okay? Because it's hard to understand um, stuff when we're trying to understand God. And so I want to start off with a ground rule. And the ground rule is this, that there are some things about God that we will never fully understand. We get that? There's some things about God that we'll never fully understand. By the way, that makes sense because by definition, God should be some, a being who is higher than us. And if he's higher than us, then we shouldn't be able to understand everything about him. Okay, so it makes sense that that's the case. Um, I remember one time when I was in college, uh, I had to take a science class, and so I signed up for physics. How many of you ever took physics in college or, you know, high school? Okay, all right, so a few of you suffered through with me. Um, I uh, was able to convince one of my friends to do it, and I actually married that friend a little bit later, and that's Kate. Um, the, uh, and so Kate and I, we took this physics class together, and I remember the first day, and this has really nothing to do with my message, but I feel like I might as well just say it. The first day, he is, he, the, our teacher, we got there late, which is typical. And, you know, in class, the, the worst seats are up front. Yeah, yeah, you see. Um, the worst seats are up front. 
And, uh, and so we were late, and so those were the only seats left, right in front of the teachers. So we go, we sit down, we're sitting kind of next to each other, there's a little aisle in between us. And Kate's not paying attention to anything, okay? But the teacher has a basketball and a tennis ball in his hand, so I'm kind of paying attention a little bit. And he takes this, he puts his tennis ball on top of this basketball, and, he, he, and he, all he does is drops, I don't know what he was explaining, momentum or kinetic potential energy. I don't know. I don't even know what those things are anymore. But he is, he drops these two balls that are on top of each other. And when the basketball hits the floor, it just kind of thuds there. And, but the tennis ball like launches, okay? It like bounces super far and it ends up hitting Kate right in her face. (laughs) And she wasn't paying attention. And so the whole class is laughing and the teacher's like, oh no, I'm so sorry. And it hits her like hard. Like this thing is flying and it hits her hard. And she, because she's not paying attention, she didn't even know what hit her. She didn't know what happened. All she knows is that somebody punched her in her face. And, uh, and later after the class, I had to explain to her what happened. I was like, no, that was a tennis ball that hit you because he did this ball drop thing and you weren't you know, paying attention. It's just funny. She didn't even know what hit her. But, um, but as the semester progressed, Kate and I, we started a little, you know, we're a little competitive, and we're trying to see who's going to be, you know, who's going to get the best grade, you know? I hate physics. I don't like science. Science and math should never have anything to do with each other. Um, I'm a firm believer in that, and when you combine it, it's just hard, and so it's not my thing. I'm not, you know, I will not, you know, I'm, I don't claim to be smart in any way in that area, and, uh, and so, and either does Kate, and so we're like competing to see, you know, who's going to get the better grade, and going into our final exam, um, I have a B in class, which I was super excited about, proud of myself for, and Kate has a C, okay, and um, we go to our final exam, we take that exam, and I come out of the exam, I'm like, aced it, easily aced it. I knew everything, I'm good to go. And she came out of the exam and was like, man, I failed it, bombed it. And I'm like, dude, maybe she'll get a D and I'll get an A, like this will be great. Um, and then uh, about a month later, they gave us our final, our final grades for the class. He didn't even give us an exam, like he didn't, we didn't get to see our exam grade or exam or anything. And my grade slipped down to a C and hers went to a B. So I don't know what all happened there, but, uh, but physics was hard, okay? I'm a C average student in physics, okay? And I'm not even ashamed uh, to say that. Now, think about if I were trying, I don't understand physics all that well. I, think about if I were trying to explain physics to my four-year-old son. Not going to go well. Okay, I'm not going to do a good job explaining it. He's not going to do a good job understanding it. What, I'm explaining like this, this invisible energy that goes from this thing to this thing to this thing. Like, it's just not going to go well. Now, let's take this up a notch. All right, what if I were explaining quantum physics to a four-year-old? I don't even know what that is. It just sounds cool. <laughs> I think I learned that from an Avenger movie or something. Quantum physics. What if I were explaining that to a four-year-old? Well, he's, I'm not going to be able to explain it. He's not going to be able to understand it, all right? It's, I mean, but just because we can't comprehend it fully, just because we don't have the ability to explain it fully doesn't mean that it's not true. And what do you think is greater? The gap between you and a four-year-old or the gap between you and an infinite God? See, there's things about God that we're never going to be able to understand, Right? That's the ground rule um, that I want you guys to, to go into this thinking about as we dive in. You guys ready? Okay, you're as ready as I am. All right. First verse, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. 
First verse isn't too complicated. It says, blessed is God Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. So we'll explain what those spiritual blessings are. First verse, not so bad. Let's go to verse four, where it gets quite a bit more complicated. Next. It says, for he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in, uh, in love before him. All right, so for us, this is really good news. All right, this is really good news, but it also has some hard edges to it, okay? The good news is that we will become holy and blameless in his sight, meaning God's gonna look down on us or God looks down upon us. Those of us that have a relationship with God, God looks down on us and he sees holiness and blamelessness. Now, how does that make any sense? Because we just spent like three weeks talking about how stupid and dumb and how mistake-prone we are, how, how sinful we actually are. But what Paul is saying here is that God looks down at us and he sees Jesus's holiness and he sees Jesus's blamelessness. Does he know that we sin? Yeah. Does he know that we have sin? Of course. But in the matter of our position, in the matter of God's justice, that he has to punish evil, where we stand, blameless, holy. How? Because Jesus took care of it. The Bible tells us that God, when he removes our sin, he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He like obliterated it. It's gone. It's over. And this reality, for a lot of us, it really leads us down two different paths of thinking. Now, for some of us, we think to ourselves, because we know how messed up and we know how many mistakes we've made in our past and how sinful we actually are. And for some of us, we think, wow, I'm a jacked up dude. God is so unbelievably kind to me. Why, the fact that God would save someone like me or the fact that God would, would save me and, and make me holy and make me blameless is so unbelievably good. But then probably for the majority of us, I think a lot of times we read something like this and we get a little self-righteous about it where it's like, well, you know, I'm, I am pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. Right? God looks at me and he sees my good stuff and you know, he's, a, he's a little bit impressed. Right? He's like, wow, Zach, you did a really good job last week at, at doing this or you know, that really good thing that you did. But that is not the case here. See, in verse four, he specifically says, he chose us. See, in the great exchange between you and God, the only thing that you bring to the table is a sin that makes your salvation necessary. That's it. It's all you got. You don't have anything else, right? The only thing that you bring to the table with the deal between you and God is the sin that makes your salvation necessary. We are nothing. The Bible tells us that our good things, like the best moral things that we've ever done, the Bible calls us, the Bible says that even those things are like filthy rags to God because he's so infinitely holy because he's so infinitely above us. See, we walk around and we think, you know, well, I'm pretty good, like I've done some things, but it's not all that bad. But that's, that's not how it is. We are so messed up, and the only way that we're even, even able to have a relationship with God is number one, because of God's grace. We talked about grace a few weeks ago. You guys remember that at all? Two, okay, oh, all right, all right. 
God's grace, all right? Unmerited kindness, meaning the kindness that God gives to us. He doesn't have to. We didn't earn it. There's no way that we could pay for it in any way. He just gives it. We don't understand why. He just does because his grace is so powerful because he's got so much grace. He's got so much love in him. All right, so the only way we're even able to have a relationship with God is number one, because of God's grace, but number two, because he chose us. He chose us. That's what he says. He says, he chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. See, what Paul's doing here is he's giving us kind of a timeline of how this all happened. He's saying, hey, right here, this is 2020, right? We're all living in 2020, right? This is where we're all at. Okay, all right. A little feedback here. This is 2020, okay? Way back here, okay, right here, this is where God created the earth, all right? Cool, all right? Way back here, before the foundations of the earth, before God even created the earth, he says, God chose you. God thought of you. Trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years ago, before the, before the earth even existed, God thought of you. Now, if you're a Christian, and if you have that relationship with God, which is everybody in this room, think about that. Just think about it. Before anything, God specifically thought of you. He knew you. He knew what you were going to be like. This is trillions and trillions of years ago. He specifically thought of you and was like, I want her. Or I want him. He chose you. He picked you. Next verse, verse five. Says he predestined us. Right? He chose us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Right? To the praise of his glorious grace, here we see that word again, grace, that he lavished on us in the beloved one or in, in Jesus. He's saying, hey, God predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. Meaning the God of the universe not only chose you to be holy and blameless, but he chose for you to be adopted as his sons and daughters. He chose you to not just be a good person. He chose you to be within his inner family. He thought of you and he thought, I want you to be my son and I want you to be my daughter. I want you in my family. We, who in the next chapter, chapter two, which we'll talk about later in, a, in, a, in another week, Paul calls us enemies. He says, we are enemies of God because God tells us what to do and we're like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm doing this. Right? We who are even enemies of God because of our sin, God chose us. See, I think for a lot of us, kind of hard to understand the whole adoption thing because none of us, you know, for most of us, right, we, we haven't been adopted before. We haven't felt like, we haven't felt what it was like to, uh, to, to not belong to anybody or to not have a home. And for us, what we end up doing is we tend to take everything that God gives us for granted and we don't think about his love for us. We don't necessarily think about all the good things that he has given us, this grace that he has lavished on us. We ignore those things and we forget that we belong to somebody now. We forget that we have a home. We forget that we have a loving father. And when we realize this, 
It should change us. All right, sometimes I don't think we understand the emotion of it. And so I, maybe some of you guys have seen this before, but this is just a tiny, 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 tiny glimpse of the way we should feel knowing that God has adopted us right here. It's not for Grammy, but it's, yeah, it's another gift. Why don't you carefully open it up? I want you to read it. Read it out loud. My new name will be Ivy Abigail Zizorka. Let's flip it over. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> we love you, sweetheart. We'll always be your parents. I love you so much. I love you. just a small glimpse of the thankfulness and the joy and the emotion that should come with us getting to know or with us knowing that God adopted us. That God loved us so much that he chose us before we even existed. That he, for some reason, wanted us. See, we weren't part of his family. And we don't have any business being a part of his family, but he still adopted us. By the way, the reason that he does this, it's not because he looks at us and he thinks, wow, you know, trillions and trillions and trillions of years ago. It's not because he's like, hey, all right, that guy is going to be a pretty good guy. I want him on my team. That's not what's going on here. It's not because he's like, hey, this guy, he's, you know, in trillions, trillions, trillions of years in the future when I create the earth, and then, you know, thousands of years after that, you know, this guy right here, I mean, he's going to be a good business guy, and he's going to have a lot of money, and I can really use some of that money to fund my thing here. It's not what it's like. It's not, he goes, hey, you know, that, 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 that girl someday, you know, someday she, you know, everybody's going to like her. Everybody, she's got a great personality. She's kind to everybody. Everybody just kind of flocks to her. She's got so many talents and abilities that I feel like I could use that is really good and beneficial to me. So I'm picking her. That is not how God chose us, right? That's not why he saved us. The Bible says here, Paul's saying he saved us according to his grace. It's almost the opposite. It's almost like, hey, that person is so messed up that me saving that person or me choosing to adopt that person into my family, it just shows everybody how good my grace is. It just shows how much grace I have. In the next verse, he says this. He says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness, meaning what Jesus did on the cross, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sin, the things we do wrong, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out 
on us with all wisdom and understanding. Meaning he is pouring out his grace. It's not just he's like, hey, here's some grace. Throw some grace over here. Hey, you did that wrong. That's not good. Here's grace. I forgive you. Grace, grace, grace. It's not what Jesus is. Jesus is saying, hey, I poured out my grace. He is unloading his grace on us. It says, he made known to us, all right? It's not we came up with this plan on our own. It's not we came up with this idea. It's not we discovered it. It's he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Jesus, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Now, if you're a thinker, your head's spinning right now. Let me read one more. All right, it's going to raise some questions. Next verse. It says, in him we have also received an inheritance. All right, why? Because we're adoptive sons and adoptive daughters. Because we were predestined, chosen, according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Jesus Christ might bring praise to his glory. All right, so this should raise some questions to you. You should be sitting there going, okay, well, this doesn't make any sense. You know, how does this all work together? Like, what about free will? What about my choice? All right, well, if God's choosing, then, then does that mean he chooses some people and not others? That doesn't seem fair. Right, why wouldn't God just choose everybody to be within his family or God choose everybody to spend eternity with him? Number one, I just want to point out is that fairness, if you want to think about fairness, fairness is that we all go to hell. If we do one thing wrong against an infinite God, the Bible tells us the penalty for that to appease God's justice because he is perfectly just. He cannot just let things, cannot just slide everything under the rug. That's not how justice works. When you do something wrong, it has to be paid for it. But we are sinning against an infinite God. And so the, the penalty for that sin is infinite eternity or infinite eternity in hell. That's what's fair. That's what every single one of us, including myself, deserve, right? Number two, the Bible never, ever presents the reason for people not going to heaven or the reason for people going to hell as a, oh, God just didn't pick them. Well, if God would have picked them, it all would have been different. That's not how the Bible presents it. It is always because those people chose not to give their lives over to God, chose not to do life with God, rejected God. And so for us as thinkers, this brings tension because in one sense, God chooses us and he predestines us before, before the earth was even a thing. And in the other sense, God, or we have a choice to make. In the other sense, we have free will. But both statements, they both seem to contradict each other, but we know then the Bible, the Bible teaches both. And so both statements are true. How many of you have ever seen the like nine dot puzzle thing? We got it, that thing. You guys seen that before? Okay, you know, the puzzle goes like this. You have, you know, you, you can make four straight lines and um, how's that go? Four straight lines, but yeah, that's it. There it is. Four straight lines, but you can't lift your pencil and you can't retrace your line. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's hard to think. So a lot of us, when we're looking at this, we're like, you know, box, box, box. You know, we, we box ourselves in 
the, three, the, the, the box, right? And so the thinking is you got to think outside the box. You got to go out here. You got to do that. And so that's how you solve the puzzle with four lines. But how can you do it with three, right? You can do it with three if you don't assume, because we make these assumptions that the line has to go through the middle of the dot, but you could do three if you make the line thicker and you hit just parts of the dot, right? But we make these assumptions, so we don't automatically think about it. You could do it with one line if you just do one thick line. See, we assume that the lines have to be skinny, but if you make just one thick line, you can hit all nine of them. All right, there's another way you could do it with one line. You can actually fold the paper so that all the dots are in the same line, and then you could draw the line. All right, you could do it a different way. There's a whole bunch of ways. All right, you could, you could, uh, was it, you know, you could roll the paper up. That's what I'm trying to think of. You could roll the paper up, okay? See, we assume that we can't manipulate the paper in any way. We assume that we can't fold it. We assume we can't roll it. There's another way. You could take every dot. You could cut it out of the paper. You could draw a short line through them all. We assume that we can't cut the paper. All right, my point here is that when we first see this, this old puzzle has been around for a long time, but we make assumptions that really limit our ability to solve the puzzle. See, we do this with God, too, right? We make assumptions, and with us being finite, with us being, being really nothing, like dust, we make these assumptions in our mind that really, in our minds, limit an infinite God because we can't understand and We don't understand how this makes sense. And so we struggle with concepts in, some concepts in the Bible, like predestination and God choosing us because we see it as a problem of fairness. But we think of fairness as if we could somehow be more fair than God. But we don't know everything God knows. And we don't love like God loves. It's actually a story. Remember, um, oh, what was it, maybe three weeks ago or four weeks ago when we were talking about Peter? Remember that? Less people remember that about then Grace. Okay, there's a cutoff there. Um, so a few weeks ago, we were talking about Peter, and Peter's one of those guys. He's half mine, all heart. And remember how that story ended where Peter is, like, doing his thing? Actually, he says, hey, I'm going, I'm going back to fishing Okay, I'm going back to my old life. I'm doing this old thing. You know, I'm done with this Jesus thing. I don't know quite what's going on here. And, all the, and some of the disciples were with him. They're like, hey, we're going to. You guys remember this? Does sound familiar? Yep. Okay, all right. Thank you. Um, so we go, or so they go fishing. They stay up all night. They don't catch any fish. But then there's this guy on shore, and he's yelling out. He's like, hey, did you catch any fish? No. And then it's like, hey, try on the other side. And they're like, okay. And so they put on the other side, they catch like a ton of fish. And then all of them instantly know they're like, that's Jesus on the shore. And so Peter, being Peter, all heart, he like dives in the water and swims as fast as he can towards them. Remember that? Okay. All right. And uh, when they get to shore, Jesus, he's got this um, campfire ready and he's, and he's got breakfast ready. Okay. Which is interesting. You don't think about Jesus making, you know, breakfast, but uh, it probably tasted really good. And so they get there, the rest of the guys get there, and they're sitting around this campfire, and Jesus is telling them, you know, what they're going to do, and, and kind of giving them, the, them their, his last words before he goes up to heaven for the last time. And he's like, hey, uh, Peter, I'm just letting you know, but you're going to die for me. Which is kind of interesting that Jesus tells Peter, hey, you're going to die and you're going to die for me, and people are going to make you do things that you don't want to do, and people are going to, they're going to tie you up, and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. And it's so funny to me, Peter's response, because this is totally 
what I would do, what a lot of us would do. But Peter, he's sitting there, he's like, okay. He takes it pretty good, all right? Someone's telling him he's gonna die and it's not gonna be a great death. And he's like, okay. And then he leans over and John's sitting right there and he's like, what about him? How's he gonna die? Is he gonna die before me, after me? What's, what's going on with him? And Jesus just tells him, he says, hey, what's it to you if I let him live or if I allow him to live? I might have, he says, I might let him live until I come back. It's so interesting. Sometimes, basically what Jesus is saying, hey, none of your business, Peter. You don't have to know. See, a lot of times, we got to remember, God doesn't tell us everything. God doesn't tell us everything. We can't understand everything. Okay, we couldn't, we wouldn't be able to, to, to memorize or, or have it in our minds. We wouldn't be able to understand it all. God chooses not to tell us everything. The one thing that we do know is that God chose us and that he predestined us, those of us who are Christians, to be in his family, to be with him. And because of that last verse, it says, in him or in Jesus you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, meaning in him, you are sealed. It's done. There's nothing anybody can do. No one can pull you out of that relationship. No one can kick you out of the family. You are in the family. In him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, when you heard it, the gospel of your salvation, the gospel, and when you believed, okay, so you have a part of it. It says the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance that we get because we're adopted sons and daughters in the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Meaning, meaning until we die and are able to get that inheritance, which is heaven. So what's our inheritance? Why do we get inheritance? Well, we get inheritance because we're sons and daughters of, of, of God. And our inheritance is someday we get to live with him and we get to be with him and have that personal relationship with him as him, as our loving, perfect dad. And he even gives us a down payment, which is, he says, the Holy Spirit, which is God choosing to have his spirit live within us. Meaning God lives within us. He wants to be a part of our life. He wants to walk with us. He wants to help us. All right? And he calls this a down payment. It's almost like earnest money. We get what earnest money is or a down payment. It's like when you make a deal with somebody, you're like, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to buy this thing or you know, we're going to make this, this transfer. I'm going to buy this thing from you. Here's a down payment. It's usually a, a substantial amount of money that uh, we are proving to this person that we're not walking away from the deal. Okay, we're not going to just leave that money on the table and walk away. We're going to fulfill our promise. We're going to fill our part of the deal. Right? That's what God does to us. God's like, hey, this is what's happening. I got this. I've chosen you. You're part of my family. And, and I have given you this inheritance. And, and just to make sure that you know that this inheritance thing is going to happen, I have a down payment I'm going to give you. I'm giving you a down payment. And when you hear and when you believe, that's when you get it. He will come and be with us. We can start that relationship. We don't have to wait till we die and we go to heaven. We start that relationship now. So not only does God choose us, 
but we have a choice to make. That's what he's saying. He's saying when you hear and then when you choose to believe. See, when we make that choice to follow God, when we make that choice to follow Jesus, immediately God enters our life. Immediately God enters our life. And if you are a Christian, a true Christian, which again, isn't everybody in here, then you know what that feels like. Because there's a difference. I mean, there's something that happens within us. He lives within us. He is walking with us. And for us that are Christians, what an awesome thing. Like, what great good news is that? That God chose us for adoption trillions and trillions and trillions of years before, lavishing his grace and his kindness on us, giving us a future inheritance of heaven, which we do not deserve. And then, if that wasn't enough, he even gives us a down payment now of him living within us so that we can have a special, real relationship with us just to assure us that this thing is for real. Just to assure us that he's not messing around, that he's, this isn't a joke to him. He's going to hold up his end of the deal. See, for those of us in here who are Christians, meaning we could think back to a specific moment. I'm not saying you got to remember the day or the date or even the year or the specific time, but you should remember the moment because in that moment that you gave your life to God, all right, and you weren't always born a Christian, okay, I hear that a lot. That's not how, the, the Bible says that's not how it works. We have to make a conscious decision, and we have to literally surrender ourselves over to him. But the, for those of us that we've done that, and we th can think back to that moment, what a great feeling. Like, what an awesome feeling that he adopted you. That he, for some reason, wanted you. That he wanted me. And we are enemies of him. But he wanted us anyway. And then for those of us who, we can't really pinpoint a time in our life where we began that relationship with him or that we surrendered ourselves over to him. You know, for us, I don't know, maybe you feel that tension. Maybe you feel that pull. Maybe it could be right now, this very second, that he is calling you. And the question is, are you going to answer that call or not? The question is, what are you going to do with that? Because part of it is your decision. Part of it is your choice. And there's no better time to do, to do that, to make that choice, to give, just give your life. Stop doing life on your own. Stop trying to make everything work, which we can't because we don't have control and we are messed up people and we all make mistakes and we're all just full of sin and it just doesn't work that way. Maybe you just need to give your life over to him. I encourage you to do that today. All you have to do is understand that you have messed up, that you are not perfect, okay, which I think everybody in here, we all get. And there's nothing you could possibly do to earn your way to God, okay? He, it's a, it's a choice. He, there's, you know, it's his grace. It's something that we don't deserve, unmerited. And just know that he died for you 2,000 years ago on a cross and that he's calling you. 
If you ever made that decision, I would encourage you to take five minutes out of your day today, five minutes, and spend some time with God about it. Talk to him about it. Give your life over to him. He wants you in his family. He wants you to be a son and daughter to him. The God of the universe, the almighty, all-powerful God that created everything with a word. It's your decision. Let's pray. God, we, um, we just thank you so much for wanting us. I don't get why you want us. I don't understand how you want us. God, I, I, we just don't get it. We cannot fathom your love for us and we cannot understand your grace on us. God, we thank you for coming and dying for us. And we thank you for choosing us. And we thank you for thinking about us before, they even, before the world began, before we even ever existed. God, your love is just mind-blowing. And it's crazy, and we thank you for that. And Lord, we love you. We don't love you the way that we should. God, help us to live our lives more like you. And we thank you for everything that you've given, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.